0: Well, good morning, everybody. I'm thrilled that your pastor has discovered the color brown. It's a beautiful color. Man, it's great to be in the house of the Lord. What a thrill to be back in the Spring Hill area. Been a few days, but you guys look great. You look wonderful, or my glasses are bad. I don't know. It could be either way. Uh, But, you know, when you wake up and look in the mirror at this every day, it's pretty nice to look at something else. So, amen. It's good. Hey, I'm thrilled for the opportunity to spend time with you today. First thing I need you to do is limber up, be excited. We're going to be together today for a little bit, and we're going to celebrate Jesus because Jesus is awesome. Jesus is amazing. It's all about Jesus, Uh, The Father found it in his good pleasure to point to, you, you know this, Jesus. And the Spirit in his wonderful action points to Jesus. And Jesus in his incredible sacrifice and work points to Father as we might be reconciled to God through him. This incredible dynamic this wonderful union to which at this time, at this period in our existence, we get to celebrate Jesus, the, the one who has made a way when there was no way. And, you know, with the pandemic, with everything going on with, uh, well, whatever, you know, the world has not run out of sinners. You, you may have thought that they got legislated out. They did not. We, there's still lots of sinners in the world. And you may not realize this, but there's still a lot of sick people in the world. Did you know that today there's as much or more need for Jesus than there was yesterday? Did you know our mission hasn't changed at all? Did you know, even though they're saying to distance, we can't gospelly distance. Yeah. We got to find ways to bring oh church. This isn't even my message, but you're going to be in trouble if I get going. Come on, come on. We got to find ways to get the gospel closer, not farther away. Yeah. And, and we have uh, my wife and I, Shireen, she was unable to be here. Uh, we have responsibilities at our home church. Um. We have been looking for ways to be faithful, to chase sinners, to bring Jesus closer to folks that need him. It's time to go to church. The alarm is telling us it's time to go to church. So I wanted to give you a couple of exciting updates. Number one, we are launching our missionary training school in Kenya. This is a school that trains indigenous people, natives to Kenya, in the way of missions so that they would be compelled to go to neighbor, their countries that are close to them. Kenya was one of the first countries that really had a strong missions effort to it. Uh, It goes all the way back to the age of Livingston and some of our first pioneer missionaries phenomenal what's been invested in Kenya. But there's now a, an abundance of Christians in Kenya. But there's not an abundance of evangelism. And bored Christians just become religious people. And they're not much fun. And so the Lord laid it on our heart to start a mission school over a year ago. And then the pandemic hit. And then missionaries were cut off from the field, proving the incredible importance of having missionaries on the continent that couldn't get cut off from their neighbors. It's phenomenal. Jesus knew what was coming way before what was coming was coming and got the ball rolling to see something in place to answer it. And so we've got the green light to that. We're partnering with Brad Smith, a friend and fellow laborer, and we're seeing incredible things. The money's been raised. The school's going to be built. And hopefully, by the end of this year, we'll be launching with the first students coming to learn about being missionaries on purpose. It's awesome. We've set our six-year trajectory for exploration. Some of you know me. My joy is to get on the back of a motorcycle, throw on a backpack, carry my tent, my water, my food, and go look for people that don't know Jesus. It's like hunting without guns. It's awesome. We go scouting, we go scoping, we go looking, and we stalk. And we try to catch them unawares and ambush them for Jesus. (laughs) It's awesome. And in this way, we've seen thousands of people accept the Lord that never knew they could. People going their whole life never hearing the name of Jesus. Not even one time, not even as a cuss word. And then being told that, yes, there is a God, and and he actually has a son who greatly loves you and gave himself for you to fix the human problem of separation from God. It's awesome. In 2,000 years, friends, in 2,000 years since Jesus established his church, the message has not reached their ears. And I have the distinct privilege of being the first to bear it, just because it's hard, it's a hard thing. It's dusty, it's sunny, and it's dangerous, but it's fun for me. We've set our six year trajectory to connect something like a thousand square miles in the next six years of having been thoroughly reached with the gospel. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's jungles. It's, it's uh, arid places. It's lions and tigers and, and bears. Oh my. And then our orphanage has gone through some changes. COVID hit hard. We had a school and an orphanage there. 150 kids. 18 of them were full-time orphans. The rest were endangered. They made it illegal for kids to be at school. Our kids got kicked out of their house. They were going to be arrested. We had to get them a home. And we've just restructured the whole thing. And we're now taking in kids that have no body. Again, we're looking to to do an incredible work there. While I was here this last time, someone gave me a human. It's really hard to wrap your head around this. When you're sitting across from someone and they go, here's a human life, all its potential, all its destiny, anything it'll ever be, here, you take it. Little dude's name is Sam Well, he's four. Mom got pregnant when she was a teenager, got scared, couldn't take care of him, took him to the police station, dropped him off. They said, you can't leave him here. She ran away and hanged herself, killed herself. He has no connection to any human on the planet. No clue. The police gave him to a family that already had some kids so that they could take care of him. The family, as he got older, he ate more. You know, kids do that. Ask Clayton's mom. What? (laughs) What? She couldn't take care of him anymore. Brought him back to the police station. By this time, we've made contact with the police station. They contact us. Do you want a human life? Yeah, we'll take him. We'll take him. I got to meet him, put a coat on him. I gave him a a chicken dinner. Tried to get a picture with him. He wouldn't take his coat off and he wouldn't let go of his chicken leg he's got a home now and he's getting educated the Lord's giving us an opportunity to minister to some of the most endangered lives on the planet and we're going to make those opportunities available to Christians that are interested in being a part when we launch hard in the next couple of months friends my family and I haven't slowed down, we're ramping up. God's given me a dream for men's ministry, men's conferences to meet across this nation that are for the point of chasing hard, brutal, aggressive men who have historically not been very comfortable in church. And who are now being hunted for toxic masculinity in our nation. The Holy Spirit has told me now is the season to not tame these lions, but to turn these lions. To focus for the Christ. And as the seasons grow dire for this church, his lions will be there to fight. Telling you great things, great things, most folks fear crisis they don 't like it, but i 'll tell you the greatest moments and the most faithful displays of god 's power and the most incredible things we point to as actionable faith builders come from crisis and While it is frustrating to live in a situation as we do, where things around us are changing on such a steady pace where you and I would define them as changing for the worse. In a human term, in a Christian term, there's a quickening in the spirit realm. That's causing the fire to stoke in our hearts. To know that as crisis draws near, we rise up. We don't back down. We don't cower. We don't hide. We don't run away. We stand our ground, as the Scripture says, having done everything to stand, we stand. Putting, therefore, on the armor of God that we may withstand in the days of trial. See, for for many, it's a scary time. For me, I'm just sharpening my sword and preparing my heart for conflict where my Christ may shine from his servant. And these arms are not conventional arms. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not physical. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, to the loosening of Satan's influence. There's a quickening Within us, calling us to greater things. Calling us to reawaken our hearts that have grown into a lull. Filling our religious role of coming to church on Sunday and going and living like the world on Monday. We are coming to a season where we will be met with hostilities. The church has no clue about persecution. I personally know people that have lost their life for taking Jesus as their savior. We have no clue. We in America, we, 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 somebody looks at us funny coming out of church and we say we've been persecuted. Somebody cuts us off in traffic when we're trying to turn out of the church parking lot. That's spiritual harassment. No, that's just Louisiana drivers. Friend, when hostilities come, true hostilities, that's the moment that your faith begins to shine. And you are going to be awakened out of a mundane faith, out of just an attending faith, coming to a beautiful church with beautiful chairs and just filling a space. You're going to be awakened to a life in Christ whereby every moment he shines from you, Every moment he comes forth from you. You stop looking like yourself. You start looking like him. And your spiritual survival instincts pick in. And you start drawing closer to Christ. And then, friend, the attending wonders, miracles, signs that we are promised are manifested. That's all extra credit. I'm sorry. I got off on a prophetic moment. I pray you're blessed. And I want you to hear me this morning. This is not the time to slow down. This is the time to ramp up. This is not the time to be willing to abide your neighbors being sinners. Now is the time to chase them for Christ. This is not the time to simply fill a role in the church. Now is the time to chase the the fullness of the body of Christ. The fullness of the body of Christ. Whereby the role you have been fashioned for begins to manifest in your life by the empowerment of the spirit and the revelation of the Christ. So that we have apostles and teachers and prophets and preachers and missionaries. Now is the time for us to begin to take our role and live it out well. So I speak it over you this morning in the name of Jesus that you would be a people of action, an awakened church, full of the Spirit, Imperfect, yes, because we are, but pressing on for that which we all hope for, the image of Christ being seen in our own. If you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, man, I'm going to share my testimony this morning. I'm excited. We'll be kind of fast. Uh, I know some of you might have roasts in the oven or stuff. My wife will tell you, not everything burned is bad. It's all right. It's all right. I know you did. (laughs) When I was a kid, I was burned in a gas fire. I was in my backyard in southern Louisiana playing with fireworks. It was three days before Christmas. It was a very enlightening experience. You're going to catch up. You're going to be left behind because they don't get better than that. <laughs> Everything changed when I got burned. Everything altered. My perspective on things changed. The Lord called me into ministry. We travel now. Go all over the world. Share the gospel. I've had the opportunity of sharing in 34 different countries up to this point. I've seen thousands of people saved personally. You know, when we go to churches in the States, inevitably somebody's going to sing a song about, Lord, let your fire fall down. I'm like, Lord, let me know. Because I'm going to move. You know, once was enough. You don't know what you're asking for. We'll go out to eat a lot of times after preaching and we'll sit down and inevitably somebody comes by, the hostess or the waiter or the waitress and they've got a tray and on that tray is a sizzling, beautiful piece of meat and all of you are like, oh, that smells fabulous. And I'm like, I feel you, my brother. I mean, you know, it just, the perspective changes. It changes. And In some of my work, I've been overseas in some pretty crazy places. One time we were in the Congo, and cannibals were coming to eat me. We're working among the pygmies in the Oriental province. I'm preaching, and I get word while I'm preaching. Uh, Brother, the, the cannibals are coming. I'm like, that's different. We finished quickly. People got saved, and we got out of there. You hear what I'm saying? But somebody asked me, weren't you scared? And I said, well, you know, not really. And they said, well, why? How can you be so confident? I said, because as I understand it, cannibals like their meat rare, And I'm well done. (laughs) I could see it cause some confusion when I see Jesus and he's like, well done. I may have to ask, can I come in? It's just different. It's just different being me, but it all happened. I was seven years old. I was in my backyard and I was playing with fireworks. Bang, oh, it was awesome. There was no frog or cricket that was safe. If I could catch them, I was trying to attach explosives to them because I was 100% boy. And everything was going along well until I ran out of matches. Oh no, I looked down, I still had several fireworks left. I ran into the house. My mom was making Christmas cookies for an ordeal i say it was an ordeal because the family was coming together i say i don't know how it is in your house but in my house everybody's preachers and so we get around the holiday table and somebody throws a theological bomb and it's on like donkey kong you hear what i'm saying so it's an ordeal well she's making cookies and and i'm like mom i need some more matches (laughs) she said go look at my purse so i went and opened up her purse (laughs) women's purses are crazy places and they're dangerous and they're mysterious. Men, listen, don't. Just don't. There's nothing in there that's worth the risk. I rummaged around in there, pulled out a little kid. Whoa, go home, Timmy, your parents are worried. How'd he get in there, right? And the size of an object that you guys can fit into a purse is in no way proportional to the purse. It's like, man, I really wish we had a lathe right now. Hold on. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> it's crazy. And so I rummaged around there, finally pulled out a book of matches. Yes. I ran outside, I opened it up, and, and there was one match. Ah. I still had several fireworks, and I said to myself, I need more fire. And on our back porch was a gallon of gasoline. And I said, well, that's what I need. So I grabbed this gallon of gasoline. I poured the entirety of its contents into a stainless steel bowl, and I light it. Boy, the fire jumps up. I threw the fireworks in there. They didn't do anything. They got wet from the gasoline, but now this fire is becoming bigger by the moment. So I tried to put it out. i sprayed it with water at first. Anybody know what happens when you spray a gas fire with water? Spread yeah, it, it not spread around, bud. Could have used your help, thanks. I sprayed it, it starts spreading around. My spanking is getting worse by the minute. <laughs> I've got to get this fire out. And so I'm raking my brain, and I remembered seeing on a television program where somebody had taken a blanket and poof, 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 beat the fire off of something else. I said, Well, that's what I need. So I ran into the house, I run past the kitchen. <laughs> Into the laundry room. Okay, blanket, 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 blanket. There's no blanket. There's a broom. They both start with B. maybe it'll work. I grab the broom. I run outside. I hit the bowl. And when I did, I hit it on the closest side. And it flipped up towards my face. I saw it coming. You notice things like that. Dump trucks, fireballs headed for your cranium tend to draw your attention. And I gasped. And when I did, gas and fire shot down my throat, into my lungs, and splashed on my face and my chest and my arms, and I began to burn. I never thought to stop, drop, and roll. It never occurred to me. I just thought, run. I ran with everything I had. I lived in a neighborhood where everybody's house kind of was up against everybody else's house and we shared backyards. And I figured somebody would notice A little four foot kid with four feet of flames coming off his head, running around in a huge circle in his backyard. That's not something you see every day. If you do see that every day, you need to move. Because it's dangerous. Okay. Nobody noticed. You can imagine Cajun sitting on his back porch. Aye, oh look, there go little Mikey on fire. <laughs> You're at a run, boy, now I still got the whole time. You had nobody noticed. I ran into the house. I'm like, mom. She's like, Ugh. I'm like, I know. <laughs> she takes a towel, she throws it at me and suffocates the fire with her own body. She steps back, grabs me by the arm and pulls, and my arm strips in her hand. She slings me off onto the ground, she said, baby, I can't touch you. Go get in the car. I ran out the door. I was afforded two choices in vehicular transportation. My dad was a small town pastor, and so we had a vehicle that was appropriate for such a station. A 1900-ish Oldsmobile land, boat, yacht, car thing. One of those cars you start turning about a mile before you actually intend to turn. And then my mom had a friend over helping her make cookies, and this lady had a Mustang. And I said to myself, self, if I need to get to the hospital quickly, which vehicle do I choose? The Mustang. So I get in, and much to my dismay, my mom jumps in the driver's side. Now, look, I'm not going to say women are bad drivers because, number one, it's not true. And number two, I don't need any more scars. But I am going to say this. In a crisis situation, it's not the best idea to give such an emotional creature the wheel. She was doing 100 miles an hour around 90-degree turns. Man, I'm in the back seat. I got a hand on this headrest, a hand on this headrest, sliding around on my own skin. It was slick as could be, going, Jesus, 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 Jesus. It wasn't because of the pain. It was because of her driving. I thought, this is great. I made it through a fire. I'm going to get killed in a car wreck. This is officially not my day. Friends, they don't make words to tell you how bad it hurt. It was horrible. Nerves exposed, skin was peeling, coming off in ribbons. I knew I was dying. And I remembered some precious saint. White hair, long dress, bund up willing to take on the toddler class, yeah? Telling us if you're ever in trouble, call on Jesus. I was in trouble. And I didn't have some kind of sophisticated prayer. I mean, I didn't have the, O oh Lord, in this my hour of great need do I beseech thee, that in thy mercies I might bestow upon thy servant grace. <laughs> That's not what I had. I had Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Sucking air through clenched teeth as the waves of pain crashed against me. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus. And I tell you the truth. The master heard such humble cries. Scripture tells us he knows what we have need of even before the moment we might need it. And as I called out, Jesus, 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 I began to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit filled me, seven years old, for the first time, dying in the back of a car. There was nobody there coaching me Nobody was there going, okay, repeat after me, untie my bow tie, who stole my Honda? Nobody was saying, hold on, hold on, let go, let go. Nobody was hitting me. (laughs) Nobody was screaming, fuego! I mean, nothing. It was me and Jesus in a crisis. And the Christ answered with the Holy Ghost. And in that moment, I confess to you truly that the pain calmed like a storm being spoken to by the Christ to be still. We got to the hospital by the grace of God. They took me in, they put me into the coldest tub of water you can imagine. It was like three quarters ice and a quarter water. They were trying to arrest the swelling that was already getting out of control. It would have been okay if I had skin or clothes, but both had been recently removed in a fire. (laughs) And I was cold. (laughs) My dad had gotten the call at the church. Your son's been hurt. He knew the way to the hospital because that was not a rare call. I was active. He came in unwilling or unable to recognize me past my room, came back, stood at the end of that tub, and he looked down, and he just shook his head. And I, long, I wondered for the longest time what was going through his mind, what would go through your mind as a parent to look down on your dreams dying in front of you. It became so very real to me when I had children of my own. And in the late watch of the night when they couldn't sleep and I'm holding them and rocking them and singing to them. In those moments, you dream over them. Maybe they'll be famous. Maybe they'll be beautiful. Maybe they'll be strong. Maybe they'll be smart. Maybe they'll do something super important. As long as they love Jesus, I don't care. Never once in those moments... Do you hold this child of yours and say, maybe they'll be a victim of a horrible thing? Maybe something terrible will happen to them. No way. It goes against everything it means to be a parent to imagine harm on your child. But I want to liberate you more this morning. I want you to imagine something. What if Mary and Joseph are asleep? And here lay Jesus in this manger setting. What if God the Father came for just a moment to check in on his only son? Picking him from that in his swaddling cloth, holding him up, what would he say? My son, the conqueror of Rome, My son, the rich, rich ruler. No. My son, the influential leader. No. No, he would look into a face that somehow miraculously reminded him of himself. And he would say, my son, the sacrifice. Man, the dream that God had for his baby was to die for us. The dream that God had for his kid was to lay his life down for us. And how many times do we catch ourselves going, God, I'm just not sure you really love me. Yeah? Do you even know my name? I feel like you stopped counting my hairs a long time ago. Well, I guess you just don't care anymore. These things coming out of our heart, pointing them at a father who was willing to sacrifice his child so you could be well with him. What an intense love. I mean, you take me. I wouldn't give my kid up for somebody else much less somebody that don't know me. As a matter of fact, if somebody tried to harm my children, I'm going to start a prison ministry. You hear me? Because I'm going to break some people. Because those babies were given to me to watch over, to care for, to nurture. But God so loved that he crushed us, no, that he gave. His son, his baby, over to a trajectory of sacrifice to die for us. And if I could speak for the Lord for a moment, When you are compelled to say, God, I'm just not sure you love me. If I could speak for the Lord for a moment, I would say, what else do I have to do to show you I do love you? What more could I have given? Friend, I pray the evaluation of your hearts would be different today as you recognize the full measure of Christ's intense love for you. They couldn't deal with me at that small town hospital. So they put me in an ambulance and sent me across the Pontchartrain Bridge to New Orleans. And a few minutes into the trip, I died. And for the next 40 minutes, I was a corpse in the back of an ambulance. My mom was in the back. My dad was in the front, and there was a driver, and that's all. There was instruments that were telling everybody things had gone poorly. She couldn't touch me. Everywhere she touched me, I split apart. I came apart. So she had just draped her arm over me. She said, sir, my son is dead. He said, what do you want me to do? He drove hard, trying to get to the hospital. She in the back, my dad in the front praying, God, please don't let my son die. Don't let my son die. We got to the hospital, they breached the back, took one look and said, he's gone. My blood had already begun to settle. They pulled me out and just to follow procedure, They breached my throat and started to get ready to do resuscitation technique. But before they could, something very curious happened. I breathed. (laughs) Impossible. It was like God had simply hit the pause button on my life. Miracles. Four more times I passed away in the hospital. And four more times by miraculous means, impossible means, God brought me back. So that I could stand here today to tell you about him. miracles. The swelling had set in in earnest. My eyes swelled shut, my nose swelled shut, my ears swelled shut, my gums swelled over my teeth. I went into something like a conscious coma. They thought the swelling was choking me out, so they put a tracheotomy in my neck. They didn't realize I was burned internally and my neck was fusing together. Those four more times I died was when they tried to remove that trach as the swelling would recede, but my air passage was thoroughly closed. During that season, it was like a conscious coma where you can think about acting, but you can't act upon thinking. My days were measured in how much pain I was in at a given time because during the day, they would cause me more pain than they would at night. During the day, they would take my raw body and they would put it into a tub of bleach. And they would scrub my wounds with steel wool and wire brushes until they peeled away all the dead skin and scab. Because infection was my enemy. Because of the blood loss and the weakness of my system, all of my veins were collapsing. They had to drill into my ankles to give me food. As a result of this, they could not afford to take a risk of pain medication. So I was thoroughly aware. My nose and my ears were cooked meat, they were rotting off my face. There was no hope. On any given day, my parents were in the windows of my room, looking out at the city, praying one of them, God, no one should live like this, take him home. And the other praying, God, don't you dare take my child from me. Both prayers from a heart of intense love. And on any given day, either parent was praying either prayer. It was chaos. There had only been six people burned on record in the way that I was internally and externally, and none of them had lived. It was hopeless. This morning, I want to give you a few things I've learned about faith. A few keys. The first key is this. When facing trial and consequence, when facing impossible odds, when you are in the midst of a crisis, the chiefest thing you must do is take an account of who's with you. The scripture says no one starts a building project without first counting the cost, knowing what's required, and being sure they have the monies to finish it no general has ever gone to war without counting his troops against the ones that oppose him. Not successfully anyway. Nor should you face crisis without taking an account of exactly who's with you. Now when taking on a a foe that is undefeated, such as these burns or such as desperate cancer or otherwise. When taking on foes that are greater than yourself, you need allies that are greater than your foes. The scripture tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, whom can be against us? Now, this simply means, you've heard it a thousand times, I know. But this simply means is if God is with you, then nothing can come against you that's bigger than he is. Who stands with you is superior to all that could come against you. That's what this confession means. It says this, there is nothing in all of creation bigger, more skillful, more powerful, more authoritative, more able than our God. He is the apex of power. He is the climax of authority. There is none above him. There is none beside him. There's none even close beneath him. He is all All that there is, and there is not one molecule, not one molecule, nothing in existence superior to our God. Now, when you have an ally so potent as that beside you, then what must you fear in front of you? Nothing. 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 It doesn't mean we won't have hardships. It doesn't mean we won't have difficulties. It doesn't mean there's not moments of frustration and pain on a human level. But it means the consequence of standing with our God is that ultimately we will prevail. Period. The victory is certain. The outcome is already established. We are victorious in Christ. For me, there's no greater key to foundation than this. Who am I standing with? Some of you like, I got blue cross, blue shield. I'll take the cross of Calvary over Blue Cross Blue Shield any day of the week. Some of you like, I got fat stacks of cash. I'll take the one that's got the cattle on a thousand hills before I'll trust in my money any day of the week. Some of you like, I'm mighty myself. I've been working out, been eating right, drinking milk. I'll stand with the one who's never been defeated. And find my confidence. Who are you standing with? Where have you put your trust? As you face hardship, have you faced crisis? There is no greater moment of importance than to immediately establish who you're going to stand with. I've learned this through hardship. And I offer it to you that you would not have to go through what I have gone through to learn it. The hospital was insanity. They said there was no way I could survive this state of enclosure from the swelling with my mind intact. Some would argue they were correct. I will argue that I am not insane. Friend, during those moments of isolation, the Lord in his mercy, though my physical eyes were closed, allowed my spiritual eyes to open and angels came and kept me company. Pulling me out of the room one day where they would scrub me. They heard, my parents hadn't heard from me for weeks. Completely cut off from them. My mom would stand at the door every day. And one day coming out, I croaked out something. She said, stop, stop, stop. Wait, what did you say? I said, do you know why I haven't died? She said, no, baby, I do not. I said, because there are angels here. And I slipped back in, not to be heard from again for a while. A comfort to her heart. A confession with no agenda. Simply the truth. Miracles. My ears and my nose were cooked. They were rotting off my face. My parents knelt next to the bed. They said, God, please. In front of their eyes, veins bore through that cooked meat, and I started bleeding from charred flesh. Impossibly. He did it anyway. Miracles. Miracles. That scrub room, I remember it very well. There were several tubs in a way and they would bring other children in at the same time who weren't burned as badly as I was and they'd scrub them and those children would scream and they would rage and they would curse those nurses and fight them and it took grown men to hold these children down because the adrenaline brought them to intense power. And all the while they were getting hit with morphine to calm things down. I could take nothing and I sat in that tub and I would reach out and I would find the brush in their hands and I would take it and I would scrub my own wound. I would play with them. I went to my parents, they said, what's different? What's different about your son? These other children, they rage at us, your son plays with us. What's different? It's Jesus. 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 Miracles. My wounds were so deep, they had to cover them somehow. It's a process called grafting. Tons of fun. That's where they take skin from something else and they cover your wounds. That can't grow skin anymore. And they gave me some options. The first option they gave me was pig skin. I thought about it. I ultimately decided it was a bad idea because I like pork (laughs) rinds. And I could see driving down the road one day get a little hungry. And that arm started looking pretty good. It's not a good plan. So I skipped. I mean, there's probably a sermon in there that swine is our closest epidermal match, but I'm going to skip it. The other options they gave me were my thighs, take skin from there, or a more southern region. My, uh, my bumper. And I thought about that. <laughs> Can you imagine being guilty of indecent exposure every time you smiled? That gives a whole new meaning to crack a smile, you know what I'm saying? Ultimately, I decided against it because one day I wanted to get married. And that would be awkward for everybody when they're like, you may kiss the bride. She's left with poor options. So my thigh is on my face. I got up this morning, shaved my leg. It's a true story. 100% American male shaved my leg this morning. It happened. Miracles, man. Miracles. So many things. We'd be here all day if I went through it all. But the doctor realized I was going to live. They called me in. He wanted to encourage me. And I could use it because the kid in bed next to me, his name was Tony. He died. He'd been close to a radiator when it exploded. Blew his chest open. Had a piece of plastic covering him. And I watched his insides work, and I watched him pass away. Another kid was several I watched die, but there was another kid that was in the playroom. He didn't show up for a while. When he came back, both of his arms were cut off because of gangrene. He said, I can't play no more, can I watch? I could use the encouragement. So I went in to see the doctor. He said, Mikey, you're never gonna be normal. You'll never fit. You're going to have that tracheotomy for the rest of your life. You'll never have hair. Your scalp is melted. You'll never speak. Your throat's destroyed. Half of your lungs are destroyed. You'll never be athletic. You're going to be ashamed to show yourself in public you'll probably just want to hide at home. And I just want you to know that's okay. Thanks doc, I'm ready to take on the world. What kind of encouragement is that? Worst encourager ever. I mean, the dude might've done okay in med school, but he failed his Barnabas classes. You know what I'm saying? We got out of the hospital and I knew God had not rescued me from that place to hide. Pastor, I knew God had not brought me out of that place to be in a corner somewhere. Why would he expend so much power, so much wonderful, so much miraculous effort to go and hide the function of his work? Why would he do that? That makes no sense at all. I knew I was a display. So I went to church the first opportunity I had. I don't remember what my dad preached. I'm sure it was great. But when the altar opened, I went to the front to pray because this is like God's OR, right? And I went and knelt down and people came and prayed for me, and I felt this kind of boom. Power of God thing. I'm like, woo, I'm healed. I jumped up, I ran, well, waddled. I gained a lot of weight in the hospital, just how it was. I I made my way to the restroom in the back where there was a mirror and I could look into it and I started peeling off the bandages that were holding my face together because I just knew that I would get all this off and there would be the kid that I left in the mirror the morning I got burned that I've never seen again. This nightmare would be finished. As I pulled off the last thing in the way, there in the mirror was that same nasty image that I'd left in the mirror that morning and I didn't understand. And look, somebody always wants to come up and encourage me after a sermon. They're always like, brother, I just want you to know, I don't like the way that you talk about yourself sometimes. You look good. That's what they say. But you know what? I've been to enough funerals. I don't believe you. And this is why. The casket's up in the front, right? People line up. They walk by. What do they say? Don't they look good? No, they don't look good they're dead. They're gone. They don't look good. Don't tell me I look good. I know what I look like. I'm there. (laughs) I said, God, I don't understand. My parents came running in behind. They said, thank you, Jesus. I said, for what are we thanking him? They go, baby, look at your head. In a morning's time, hair had punched through all of that scar tissue. Impossibly. God gave me a covering, which has been so important for our work overseas. Incredible. Incredible. I didn't want to hide. I went to public school. Every day I was punched, I was kicked, I was spit on. I was called anything you can imagine having to do with boiled, broiled, fried, sautéed, barbecued, or cooked in any fashion. I was told daily, you're ugly, and we wish you would have died so we didn't have to see you. This was my experience all the way into high school after a particularly hard day, I came home and decided I would do the world a favor and I would kill myself. So I took a forty-four Magnum pistol. I sat at the end of my bed. I put it to my head and I started to pull the trigger and I said, God, I'm very sorry. I'm worthless. And as I Squeezed, I anticipated that there was going to be nothing very soon. But instead, I heard the Lord speak. And He said two words that caused me to pause. I said, God, I'm sorry I'm worthless. He said, I disagree. I said, God, how can you say that? I have nothing. Nothing. My face is a sideshow at a circus. My voice is garbage. My lungs are destroyed. I have literally nothing. You look up the definition in the dictionary of worthless. There's my picture. Nothing. How can you say that? He said, Mikey, in all of heaven, there was nothing more precious to me than what I gave for you. He said, son, in all of my power, I could not have created something more valuable than my boy. He said, you're not worthless to me. You're worth everything. and my heart changed. I stopped letting people and their opinions establish my worth. And I accepted the fact of my father's love. Some of you have heard it, yeah? Let's be honest. It's church, you're not supposed to lie in church. You put on good smiles, but let's be Truthful. Some of you have heard it. Some of you have heard those terrible things. And you've wondered if they're true. As an emissary to the cross today, as an emissary from heaven, I'm telling you, he loves you. You're not worthless to him. You're worth everything. There's nothing he wasn't willing to do to be close to you to have friendship with you, to have relationship with you, to rescue you. I pray that the hooks, those wicked hooks of horrible things said would be pulled out of your heart today and you would be liberated to peace. Miracles. That tracheotomy was terrible. They tried everything to remove it. Took a rib from my side, stuck that in my throat. Took a piece of my jaw out, put that in my throat, my thighs on my face. I don't even know where half of me is anymore. I mean, I'm here, but. One of the things they tried to do was to cut out my vocal cords. They said, You're never going to speak again. I said, Doctor, with or without vocal cords, I'm going to preach. They cut out my vocal cords. Two weeks later, I was making noise. This should not be. So they brought me in, took a long tube with a camera on the end of it, stuck it up my nose to look in my throat. I always thought that was strange when my mouth is right here. I mean, seriously. Seriously. If the most efficient way to get to my throat is my nose, why don't we snort our food? Really? Really? So he takes this scope and he looks in my throat and he falls back into his seat and he shakes his head. And I said, with a tube down your throat is interpreted, excuse me, doctor, what's wrong? My mom was in attendance. He said, Miss Cheshire, can you look in there and tell me what you see? She says, sure. What am I supposed to see? He goes, no, just tell me what you do see. She said, I see two things going like this. He said, that's what I thought you'd see. I cut those out two weeks ago. Out of my office, he wouldn't work on me anymore. The Lord had grown back an organ impossibly in two weeks from nothing. I can't blame him as a surgeon if stuff you cut out comes back, that's counterproductive. Yeah, how many of you know when you trust God through difficulty, a lot of times on the back side of a difficulty, you had more than you had on the front side of a difficulty. I wonder if you can imagine being 12 years old and having this at your disposal. I've found it to be a wonderful witnessing tool in dark alleys around midnight. Would you like to meet Jesus? Yeah, right now would be a good time actually. Jesus, miracles, man, miracles, every hurdle, every hurdle that God found in my way. He overcame it. They said I'd never be athletic. I played football. I lifted weights. I won a scholarship to play in college. I got my bench press up to 470 pounds. I've climbed Mount Kilimanjaro to its summit. I run Spartan races for fun. And I shouldn't do any of it, all of it, to the glory of my master. One of the most incredible moments was standing on top of Mount Kilimanjaro at Uhuru Peak and kneeling down and saying, Lord, this is your fault. To date, I've had the joy of seeing over 150,000 people accept Jesus personally. Today I've had the joy of having the opportunity to pray for everything you can imagine from cancer to leprosy to dead folks. And I've watched him do it all, even raising the dead. Friend. It's good. See, a key is you got to make sure you're standing with God. The other key is you got to have hope while you're walking through the midst of it. I find such a courage in this. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those that love him, that are called according to his purpose. Now, if you would have asked me in the hospital, you listen to me, you hear me. If you would have asked me in the hospital, is being burned good, literally no one would say yes. But if you ask me now, can God turn burns to good? A resounding amen is found on these misshapen lips. because now I wouldn't trade it for anything. He's brought such a value, such a joy, from such a mess. When you're in the middle of your crisis, know that he's going to be able to bring an agreeable end from anything you bring to the table. So we're founded on the fact that we're standing next to him. We're hopeful in the fact of what he can do with any crisis. And I give you this last moment as I'm closing. We trust in the reality that he has never failed. See, a lot of times we approach it well, God might let me down. Why? What makes you so special that you'll be his first failure? What makes you so special? that you're the one he's gonna start with and fail. He's never done it before, but you somehow are the one he's gonna start with. Friend, so goofy. The lies of the enemy are so goofy. Let me tell you what I've come to know. I've had malaria, I've had sleeping sickness, I had West African sleeping sickness while I was working in East Africa because that's just how I roll. That bug came all the way across the continent to find me. I've been shot at. People have tried to eat me. Think of it. Just think of it. But not long, okay? I've had animals that have stalked me, actively pursuing my life for their sustenance. I've had cancer, terminal cancer, 22-inch tumor in my chest. God rescued me from. I know what it is to be utterly alone, to be hated, ridiculed, and mocked. And in all of it, in all of it, I happily confess These words, penned by our brother, many eve ago, Romans chapter eight, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all day long, considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced, I'm sure, some of your versions say, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor cancer, nor burns, nor pandemics, nor diabetes, nor poverty, nor crazy government stuff, questionable elections nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You've heard it before, but you've not necessarily heard it from me. And I have tested this bond, abused this bond with suffering and stupidity. I'm very capable. And I find it to be completely accurate that truly nothing can come between my father and I through the bond of my Christ's love. Nothing. Can separate us. With this promise. What can we not endure? With this promise. Why do you fear it all? Why be glued to the news with a tremble in your spirit. And a fear it's not going to go your way. Why chew on your fingernails waiting for the phone call from the hospital to tell you the results of the test? If this is true, then why do we tremble so? No, I believe and I confess that there is an assurity In these promises that the bond between me and my God are inseparable. It's unbreakable. That as long as I love Jesus, as long as I confess him as my Lord, and as long as I believe that he has been raised from the dead by God, I shall Be saved. So friend, I am founded on the reality of who stands with me. My hope comes from the fact that God has a plan. He's got a way through this to make it good, whatever it is. And I'm covered by the promise of his faithfulness. Never has he failed and he will not start with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning and the opportunity to be together. And I thank you that you always hear us when we pray. There's never a word that we utter out directed at you that doesn't arrive to you. And Lord, my request this morning is very simple. Heal people, save people, rescue people. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're insane. You're certifiable because the days are not getting easier. They're getting harder. If you'd say, Brother Mikey, I do not have a relationship with Jesus. I am not a believer in Jesus. I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I surely want to be. Just raise your hand right now, wherever you are and we'll pray. That's awesome. That's awesome. You are killer. You guys are amazing. You can put your hands down if you're here this morning and you say brother Mike yeah, I got